Welcome to Formula Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And Cindy, we get complaints. Yeah. Yes, we do. We do. <laughs> I know. We get complaints. <laughs> uh-huh. We get complaints that everything we talk about on this program is a little too complicated to deal with at home. Uh-huh. And that folks can't write the stuff down when they're in the car. <laughs> well, that's I'm glad they're yeah. not. Uh, please don't. Please, <laughs> please pull don't. over. Please don't write yeah. while you're driving or please text. Please be safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can download the podcast if you want to write down a bunch of stuff. Yeah, do that. So that's a, that the WYPR site, by the way, right? WYPR.org. Podcast. You can who'd, look who'd for our thought, page. Who'd have thought we would have something that was a podcast? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I'm not from the podcast <laughs> generation. <laughs> right? All right. Okay, so, here we go. But anyway, because of those complaints, mm-hmm. we're trying to address it by, we want to do a program today on simple food. Yeah. Not, not that... You're particularly simple if it's what you do, but food that was simple to execute and simple to make really good. And some of th- sometimes it's just procuring food. Well, and I think also, Tony, one of the things I think that's really interesting that's happening right now are these companies that are sending uh, food product to people's house. Actually, I was reading about one today that um, you buy this oven that they produce. And then when you buy this, you know, when they send you food every week for one person or two people, whatever, um, they've actually gotten it to the point where you can put the whole thing of food in this little oven and it's a steam oven. It also will broil. And um, so you can just put They've gotten everything to the same point in time so that, you know, whatever it is, so let's say it's 10 minutes that you put a pop in the oven. Um, then it all cooks at the, the same time. It's all finished at the same so time, that, the point. So there's that. And then there's the other thing where you... So that's extreme where it's super easy that, that, for people. That is extreme because... Don't you want to become a decent cook? Don't you want to become or a good cook? Don't you to be, want to be a one with the I food? Mean, it's, it's, I mean, I yeah, think it's, for me, it's, it's the therapy pleasure. for God's sake. Oh my God, for sure. <laughs> and part of the beauty of cooking is the smell of the prep and and smelling an onion when you peel it open and you and you actually uh, even something well, the, like the, an onion which the, you cut in half and you're like, oh my God, or you slice a, an apple and uh, or you crush lemon verbena and that perfume, or you even do something so simple as slice open a lime, and you suddenly feel like refreshed. And it's just gorgeous, and or you feel lentils. You're, you're you're washing lentils in in a bowl, and you're running them through your hands. This is one of my favorite feelings. See, I always all think that stuff is part of cooking. That, the smell, that the is, feel, it's the, all beautiful. I always, I kind of like the risk <laughs> that I might screw it up. Oh, oh, I thought you, you know, meant no, like seriously <laughs> working with knives and hot pans. No, 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 no. I'm pretty. <laughs> I like that part. I'm pretty accustomed. <laughs> I to like that, that risk. Yeah, it's that, fun. That doesn't bother me. <laughs> The risk of yeah. making a mistake. But you mean? The, yeah, yeah, the risk of not getting something quite right or missing something and in, in from discovery. It. Well, you're learning you, from it. You as know you very say, well that, is a that, great word. That, that I love that. I like when I'm working on something. I I like it to be a discovery process and not, you know, I, I like to have an idea evolve from mm-hmm. having my hands in something. And, Definitely. Well, that's the beauty of cooking. It is a it, it is a process, but it's a fun process. So, like you say, what's going to happen when I or or you're just trying something new? And please do. I mean, you know, what's going to happen? No one's going to, you know, it's nothing bad's going to happen. You may have to reach and get something else and make something else for dinner if you don't or for sal- lunch or for breakfast. If you don't salt your lentils, something bad happens. <laughs> but I mean, you know, no one's going to get sick. You know, it's not no, no one's 
Nothing bad's happening. It's just, you know, move on. I mean, learn. That's how you learn. That's, I have made mistakes in cooking before. Well, and that is a, part of the process of learning. Attempting something I, I, and actually, doing I, it better. I tried to make puff... I, I didn't try. I made puff pastry from scratch the other day. And frankly, it's pretty common to buy puff pastry. We, we make like almost every single thing from scratch. But there's just one of those... It's just one of those things that puff pastry sheets are... Super labor-intensive. It's super labor-intense. Yeah. And I mean... Most chefs buy puff pastry. But I thought, you know what? I wanted to teach my cooks the process because it is labor intense. And it's a fascinating process making puff pastry. You know, it's all about how many times you turn the dough, folds, roll it out, fold it again, make sure the butter. Because you have to incorporate the amount a of large butter, piece of butter in of there. Butter. Yeah, it's a super it's fascinating. Amazing. Yeah, it's a fascinating thing. That's why you love it. I do. But when I made it, I was super excited about it. And I haven't made it since culinary school. And honestly, um, it, it was a little tough and I was really mad. So, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, it, it's a process. So even someone that's accomplished, although I haven't done it in, you know, 30 some years, um, you know, I know how to cook. But obviously I don't remember how to make puff pastry because I did something wrong. And it's just it's just that's what cooking is about. If I can admit that and I'm a professional chef. I mean, and also there should be no ego about cooking. Who cares? Just make it. Try well, it's it. All, do it's it. all equal. Yeah. That's that's part of the beauty of it. I mean, that I don't cook every day in restaurants. I don't cook every day at home. I have a bunch of other stuff to do. So one, for me, it's therapy. Two, I get to kind of go back and feel stuff that, and maybe rediscover or remember how to get something done and that mm-hmm. how to work with a particular ingredient in a particular season. And that that's remarkably sort of healing for me. When all the other stuff that I have to do is not something well, I'm enjoying. And that's true because you don't cook all day long. You're dealing with all sorts of issues and you're running a business and you are talking to people about cooking. And you may go show somebody how to do something if you have to. But that isn't your work, and your ultimate work. And, and so it's wonderful that you do because you are a very good cook, that you have that opportunity to go home and get to enjoy it. And that's what I want people to do at home. I know we have to feed ourselves, so sometimes it does feel like a task. But if you can just find some way to just look at it as this is going to be a really fun experience. And if it doesn't work out, that's okay. I'm going to try and learn from that. Or I may ask somebody a question or I'll go online or I'll send Cindy Wolf and Tony Foreman yeah, maybe, a, an email and say, hey, I tried to do this and I couldn't figure it out. Can you help me? Maybe maybe a radio producer, maybe a radio producer and you boil broccoli and you forget to salt the water. <laughs> you know, coming clean about that is important. <laughs> He's making a funny face right now. Not that anyone around <laughs> here is, uh, is that well, person. Well, I mean, sure. I mean, uh, that's easy to do. Forget to put the salt in the water. But then, hey, Luke, how good was your broccoli? Not so great. That is not. Yeah, he's thumbs down. Okay. So, so, But that's n- simple. Number, number one on my list. Sorry. Let's, let's go, go through simple stuff. Number, do not forget to season food. Do right. not forget seasoned food. It's, if you're cooking it in water, you have to season the water. Mm-hmm. Well, so if you're boiling green beans, you know. And the other thing about that is if you want really bright, healthy, gorgeous, deep green green beans, you have to cook them in a whole lot of water. And that needs a whole lot of salt. So, you know, I mean, I th- you know, a pretty common thought is to, s- to say that the water needs to taste like the ocean or seawater. And, and that's that's pretty well right. I mean, you could go a little bit lighter than that if you are worried about that. Or, you know, obviously, we're not talking about someone with a specific health problem because you know what that, you know, those things you have to adapt to. But if if there aren't any issues and you can do whatever you want, um, you know, 
a, a large pot of boiling water is what you need to cook a green vegetable as well as heavily salted. You, you want it to be seasoned. And you want it if to you, cook really fast. If you're cooking That's what keeps the meat, vitamins in. If you're cooking chicken, mm-hmm. if you're and, and starches, they need a lot of salt. They need a they lot do. of seasoning. Potatoes, pasta, rice. rice. <laughs> well, and that's the other thing. You know, you talk about things to know. Let's say you do want to. And I, to me, Number one thing to know, season your food. I have a question. Luke, do you think making risotto is daunting? Yes. He said yes. Okay. So I would think that most people would think making risotto is daunting. And I think one of the biggest things about making risotto or any rice is just making sure with risotto, you add that that first bit of water or stock or you know herbs and water, whatever saffron water, whatever it is you're adding to make your risotto, it has to be well seasoned from the very beginning. Even cooks, I have to say this to you know they're like, oh, I'm going to add salt now. I'm like, what do you mean? You already made it. I don't mean, are you kidding pi- me? It's don't put absorbing. A pile of something. Well, it's absorbing that liquid. A starch yeah. absorbs liquid. That's how it goes from being this hard. Horrible thing. I mean, I'm sorry, this is basic, but I mean, you know, that's what you want. You want to make sure that it's absorbing what you want it to taste like in the end the, from the, the beginning. The rule for seasoning that I was taught that I internalized was Fernand Point's rule. You season food three times, never heavily. You season it, if it's, say, a protein before you cook it, while you're cooking it, and after you cook it. And ne- particularly never, never heavily. after you slice it. So so yeah. let's Each just slice pretend. Of duck. Yeah, let's just Each pretend. Slice of beef. Right, let's use a let's use a piece of beef because people will buy beef. All right, let's say you're cooking a ribeye, and it is a gross piece. So let's say it weighs four or five. A gross piece is a solid piece of meat. Thank That's you why for we say it gross that. in the kitchen. Um, a gross piece of pate is the entire piece of pate. It probably comes from French terminology, but um, it does. It so, means large. Yes, exactly. So there. So with the beef, let's say you're going to you know grill this big piece of ribeye on the grill and as you say you salt it and and oil it and pepper it whatever do you, before it's you the cook simplest it. before you cook it while you cook it while you cook it you want to continue to season because it's you're going to continue to brush it with oil so if you're brushing it with oil with no seasoning i mean you need to keep the thing moist while you're grilling it so you can't just turn over a piece of ribeye uh, onto the meat, onto the not fat cap side, and think it's not going to stick to the grill unless you brush it with oil. So you have to brush it with oil, and that means you have to reseason it because you're going to brush off that seasoning. Tangentially, you're doing a great job following my agenda because number two on my list is rest meat. So please tell people after okay. seasoning it, cooking it, right? That's what I was seasoning saying. while cooking. Then what is the next step? So it's it's going to absorb, reabsorb its juices. Right. So the meat, as it when it gets really hot, it constricts, the meat constricts. And all of a sudden, all the juices are kind of trapped near the center of the piece of meat. You want it to redistribute. You want the blood to redistribute back through the piece of meat. You want the piece of meat to relax. That's why the color is what it is. If it's more red in the center and it's more pink and then more gray, that's because all the blood is rushed to the center. Mm -hmm. If you rest it you'll notice that the color is more even right. than it would have been. And when you go to slice it, you don't have that cutting board that is entirely covered oh, in and blood. And that, that's a horrible thing. So you have that, to let the blood and the juices redistribute back through the piece of meat. So, I mean, if it's a big piece of meat, let's say it's a you know, say it's a four-pound ribeye or something. I mean, that's going to take... Sounds good. That's going to take like, you know, eight minutes for that 
eight, ten minutes at least for that to rest. And let it, let it rest. Finish up the rest of your cooking or finish the, you know, chimichurri or whatever, the salsa, the whatever it is that you're making. Or maybe you're making hollandaise because you wanted to try it, which I highly suggest doing because that is a process that, again, is daunting. Have you ever made hollandaise, Luke? No. He's rolling his eyes. So, I mean, hollandaise is one of the greatest of mother sauces, and there are all these other sauces that come from hollandaise. Well, it's a very good sauce for so fish you, and meat. So. Exactly. And if you if you can um, become accomplished making that, then you can make all these other sauces, too. So, um, But anyway, so finish that. Let your meat rest, and then when you slice it, then you re- lightly re-salt each piece because, obviously, the salt's all, all on the outside. There's nothing salty on the inside. If you've got a piece of ribeye, that's a big, wide piece of meat, oh, a lot of that doesn't have any seasoning. Yeah, if you season the center, some will have gone back in. When you rest the well, meat, it, some it of the seasoning will go back into the meat, mm-hmm. which is also one of the cool things. But it's never it's never enough to get the center correct. That's where you want to have a little seasoning added on. So you had mentioned with a four-pound ribeye that you're probably looking at eight minutes, but that's eight minutes like covered in foil on top of a range in a warm spot. So you're going to take, you obviously need, let's say you roasted that ribeye in the oven, then you want to remove it from that hot pan in in order for it to begin to rest. Um, If it came off of a grill, you're probably just on to a sheet pan or a platter anyway. That can stay on that. Or again, because you're going to cut it anyway, slice it anyway, most likely. Um, Just let it rest on your cutting board. Um, I just would gently drape the piece of meat with foil. Don't wrap it in it because that's going to retain the heat. What we're trying to do is let the meat relax. It will lose a tiny bit of heat, but it's not going to lose that much heat. It's it's not an issue. I mean, don't leave it there for 30 minutes. It will be cold or it will be barely warm. But if you let it rest for a few, you know, whatever, eight, 10 minutes, depending on how big the piece of, you know, if it's a turkey at Thanksgiving, we used to let ours rest about 20 minutes. I mean, those are big birds. Uh, you're talking about, you know. But if someone's doing, it, you know, it's for two people, and they have a 12-ounce strip steak. Uh, just let it rest for a couple of minutes. Yeah. 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 It's, if it's just a, a, an individual portion or or if it's something maybe you're just cutting in half, um, yeah, just let it rest for a couple of minutes. Like I said, you can, that I would just let it sit on the board and then cut it. Um, but uh, And honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it directly on the plate. Even if you aren't cutting it, I wouldn't, like, run it out to a guest immediately um, unless you think they're talking. I mean, if there's if you think there's a chance they are, well, most likely there will be some sort of a break. I doubt that anybody is going to, like, immediately dive in with their fork. But it, you kind of want to let it rest a little bit before you serve the guest. But I don't want it to cool and down. It should still a small be warm. piece of meat will cool down. It should so. be warm, mm-hmm. not hot, mm-hmm. but not, certainly not cold. Yeah, no, of course. You do want to serve your, your food. Hot. It will be hot. It will. Just let it rest for a couple of minutes. That's that's it. I think that's one of the other sort of interesting things about if you read a lot about cooking, um, roasting a chicken and what is the right position for the chicken to be in. And um, Everyone is tricky about roasting a chicken. What I do is easy, easy, perfect. That If it didn't have a heavy pan, it would not work. Right. If right. we did not season the bird Which inside and out, it would not work. Mm-hmm. If we didn't sear it in good fat, duck mm-hmm. fat in this case, it, it, it renders some of its own fat from the skin, it would not work. And if we didn't then, once it, once it browned, patiently roasted in the oven, it would not work. That good sear and, and a little bit of vinegar that stops it from browning, that's the whole ballgame. 
Then you just roast it till it's at temperature. You rest it three, four minutes, and then you slice it. And it's crazy good. Or just break it that down. Is not, that is not that complicated. How many lousy chicken dishes have you had? It's easy to make a lousy chicken. And, and I will say there's one other point that we can't not go over, which is buy the best product you can. I mean, it, it truly good food comes from good product. And good product doesn't necessarily mean expensive. It just means that it's fresh, that it's in the best condition it can be in, and that it was grown in a healthy way, or that the the birds or the animals or whatever you're working with were grown and uh, were, were raised in a healthy, uh, freeing environment. Sanitary environment. Yeah, yeah. So there's you know. just, you know, you, 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 I'm sorry, you can't make good food from bad product. You can't. And why would you want to? Because there's so many beautiful vegetables that are not expensive that you can, you know, hey, I can buy six of these and I may only need four, but I might make a mistake but on this guy. But if you mess up, you've got something. <laughs> right, exactly. And it's not an expensive experience. Yeah, that's a, that's, you also have to be willing to, if you're going to try, you have to be okay with failing. Don't do something that's costing you a fortune that gives you no room to make a mistake. right. right. And if it's a big deal, like you have a dinner party, it, it's birthday dinner for your significant other for 10 people, for goodness sake, do that dish a week before. Yeah, we've always talked about that. And yeah. I think everybody says that. You know, I mean, it's just, yeah, don't put yourself under that stress. There's no reason to. And, and why, you know, just yeah, practice another time. A lot of the things that you do in the kitchen are labors of love. And to me, making risotto, making pasta from scratch. Um, a lot of the things that we do are truly labors of love. You have to be very patient and pay attention peeling and you can't be things. distracted. <laughs> yeah. And well, peeling asparagus, that's one. You know, a lot of people won't take the time to do that or don't know to do that. And it's so much nicer, so much better in your mouth when you go to eat it. Um, and you can always use the trimmings, including the peel, quite frankly, to make soup or something else. Last thing I want to mention about procuring products, and then we're going to have to go to break. Don't put your tomatoes in the refrigerator. <laughs> Please do not put your tomatoes in the refrigerator. Right. Well, we should talk they about get a, they get how a strange to buy, texture. how to buy, and how to store. All right. When we come back on Formula Wolf on Food and Wine, we're going to lecture you about don't put your lecturing. tomatoes in the refrigerator. <laughs> Tony's going to lecture you on that. <laughs> it's just, it's, <laughs> I'm viscerally upset it. by it. <laughs> I know you are. So when we come back on Formula Wolf on Food and Wine on WYPR. Welcome back to Formula Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And Cindy, we started talking about simple food and trying to execute dishes that almost anyone can do. Mm-hmm. And then we got into all, all kinds, kinds of, of business. On <laughs> we, we got into no <laughs> dishes digress. because we talked about seasoning and we mm-hmm. talked about resting meat. Mm-hmm. And then I started to freak out about not putting tomatoes in the refrigerator. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> it just it makes me upset. Sorry. Well, okay, we get it. I took a couple of breaths. I'm all right. Okay, good. So, And do remember, as far as excitement, we have that third segment coming with the Chef's Challenge. Uh-huh, I know. You're going to love is yours. always dangerous. You're never going to be able to figure out what to do but with yours. in the meantime, yes. Um, what is a simple dish anyone can execute that they should know about? 
Okay. So I think it's chicken because it's accessible. Well, we talked about a roasted chicken. Um, I, I remember- A lot of people are not going to buy a whole chicken to right. roast. So let's just do a couple of chicken breasts. So I think that that is more friendly and easy for people. And um, I think one of the biggest things, you know, okay, I'll give you, I'll give you my sister as an example. So I go to her lake house and she marinates a chicken breast in fresh lemon juice, butter, uh, a little bit of corn oil, very little butter. They do eat very healthy. Um, and uh, so lemon juice, Tabasco, butter, lemon, corn oil, and salt and pepper. And um, it was really good. I mean, obviously it's super simple, but that's the thing is that you can throw something or put something together like that, um, but you can change it. So maybe you want to put fresh rosemary from your garden in there and use a great extra virgin olive oil um, and a little salt and pepper. Or you want to use, like I have lemon verbena, and lemon verbena is one of those things that needs to flavor things. You can't really, you can't eat it. It's got these weird little prickly things on the leaves that are pretty fine, but pretty um, unpleasant on your on, in your mouth. Yeah, so, it's like eating cat fur. Yeah, it's weird. So, But I love the taste and the perfume that you get from Verbena. So you could make a really pretty marinade for, again, chicken breast or uh, or fish, which would be really nice, um, and just crush it in your hand. You could chop it, but I, I really wouldn't even waste my time. I'd crush it in my hand, um, sort of bang it around in a, in a little bowl with some good olive oil and salt and pepper, and marinate either your fish or your piece of chicken. And now you have a good starting process or a good starting step. Now, you could also just do oil, salt, and pepper. You don't have to do anything other than that. There's nothing wrong with, you know, super simple. If you if you have a boneless, skinless chicken breast and you just want to cook it and eat it as simple as possible, Okay. have great extra virgin olive oil. I agree. I, I, I have definitely just seasoned a good chicken breast, seared it nicely in the pan, let it finish in the oven, just finish, not like crazy. Mm-hmm. Depending upon the size of the breast, what is that? 18 to like 25 minutes. Wow. Maybe a little bit more. Uh, just a chicken breast? Yeah. Oh, I normally leave mine in for five or six minutes, so. I don't, well. Must, yeah, I mean, I. I I'm, I just, I'm just searing it and then putting it in okay. there because I, I want it to cook more gently. Okay. Oh, well, if you're on a, in a low oven, that, yeah, that's, exactly. a long, that's a long time. But yeah, I mean, for me, I, I, I would sear it both sides at high heat, let it go for a little bit in the pan so it gets good color. I want to deglaze that pan really badly because I know I'm going to get serious flavor. But if we're going simple, just sear it and, and into an oven at 350 degrees. Don't don't crank your oven up to 425 or something. I mean, you want a gentle oven like you or you're saying gentle cooking. And I mean, that's a good temperature. It's not going to go too slowly. You're thinking about... Boneless. I'm thinking about on the bone. Oh, I'm like what? Eighteen. Okay, there I'm we go. Thinking about on the bone. Okay, I thought you said boneless, skinless. Then, then yeah, I, okay. I confuse sure. myself. I Got apologize. It. Yeah. Well, but, and it but, is nice to roast it on the bone because obviously that gives flavor. it more flavor and it, it it just it comes out very nicely. If you're boneless, skinless, you're talking six, maybe six minutes, maybe five minutes in the oven, depending on how big the breast is. But if you if you do that on the bone, mm-hmm. and then you rest it, and then you slice it. Mm-hmm. Take it off the bone, and then cut. You can cut thin slices. Sure, it it's going to be good and juicy. Put it on the plate. Tiny bit more salt on those slices, like we talked about, and just very good extra virgin olive oil. Yeah, there's that, nothing wrong with that. That's, that's it's good eating. It's unbelievable how fruity that oil will be if it's good quality. Sure. With that chicken breast, it makes it very very easy to put almost anything alongside of it. Well, and we, we've probably talked about it before, but I love having different 
different types of olive extra virgin olive oil on hand. And I and that may be I don't know, maybe that's too much, but the I the most important I, thing is freshness. Yeah, well, and that's it. I mean, you have to go through it. If you're gonna have two open or three open, which is a lot, um, or if you can buy small quantities of different types. That doesn't mean just buy the oil and it's, and it's gonna be fresh from the grocery store every single time. Look on the back label. Somewhere there on on any good oil is going to be either the harvest date. Yeah. Or some kind of a code that stands for the harvest date, like a lot number or something. And that's going to give you, that'll tell you how fresh it actually is. Almost any good extra virgin should have some green tone to it when it hits the plate. If the green is all gone, then it's more than a year old. Well, and also keep it in a cool place. That does not mean the refrigerator. I do not mean that. But don't let it sit in the sunshine in your kitchen somewhere. Um, For example, the way that I built my kitchen at my farm, I have a room that is my kitchen. And then uh, like an L off of it, I have um, uh, my pantry which is also my laundry room, which means I create heat in there because my my dryer's in there. So you can toss a salad and toss something in the <sighs> laundry room. Exactly. But um, <laughs> I have to keep that door open so that the you know dryer isn't creating too much heat in there. I also have a bank of windows in there, which I need to put blinds on really badly um, because I have to be very conscious of where I keep things in that room. So I keep a lot of my things on the lower shelf so that if it is something like olive oil or I'm concerned about heat or you know, I have chocolate and I can't keep chocolate in there, quite frankly. And I can't I keep, keep chocolate at home either. Well, I'm sure you can't. I just eat it. But <laughs> I, <laughs> I keep my chocolate in a different spot, so I'm sure it's out of the sun. But with the olive oil, you know, I think that's the other thing. You know, you, we could go on and on about how how you buy things. You know, what do you look for when you buy mushrooms? What do you look for when you buy olive oil? But also consider that you've just invested in something and that you need to store it properly. And as you said, look at the look at the production date. Um, how long have you personally had it? Have you been sitting on this oil for, you know, the last two years? I hope not. Um, so it's always good to just mark it. I mean, we, we have to label, obviously, in a kitchen, professional kitchen, you label and date everything. Um, and it's easy to just put a piece of painter's tape on the bottom of a container and, you know, put, you know, July 1st on 2017. And, um, you know, you know when you bought it. It's it's I also honestly I do that with my sugar. I want to know what my sugar intake is. So I label a lot of things in my kitchen to make sure that, you know, either it's in good condition or that I'm keeping me in good condition. So you mentioned mushrooms, mm. buying mushrooms. I, I work with a lot of mushrooms. I, I've, I've I eaten love, so many lousy mushrooms. Uh, I love mushrooms. So right now we're we're still getting wild chanterelles and wild morels. And those things are, I mean, I handle them myself in the kitchen because I want to make absolutely certain because it is a wild product. It grows in, you know, sandy dirt uh, with bugs and pine needles. It grows on the forest floor or on trees or, you know, dead trees. You know, it's everything it's in, in an the forest is in that mushroom. Yeah, yeah. It's like ferns. I find ferns in there. I find all kinds of stuff. I mean, I wash those mushrooms myself because it is so time-consuming, it's unbelievable. And my cooks need to set up their stations. So, I mean, sometimes, and, I, and I can, I've got two big sinks behind me, which is perfect. Um, and this is a luxury people don't have. Well, I do because I have a commercial sink in my, my kitchen, and I strongly suggest that if you're designing one to put in a commercial. This is the best thing I've ever done in any home kitchen I've ever built was putting in a gigantic commercial uh, sink. But um, at work, I can turn around and work on my prep table and do other projects while the mushrooms are soaking. So let's start with what do you look for? They need to be firm. They need to be, 
They need to look good. I mean, common sense goes a long way with what we do in the kitchen. If they have mold on them, that's not good. It shouldn't be moldy, floppy. Right, right. Or if, like with a morel, a dark colored, there are light colored morels and dark colored morels. With the dark ones, um, they should range from almost black to, you know, a little bit of a lighter brown. And if they start to sort of have an orange hue to them or if they... Again, if they're soft, forget about it. They're not. They're, they're not good. So you want them to be firm, and you want them to, you know, smell good. They should smell like the forest floor. Quite frankly, when we get morels in and they go into the walk-in, my entire walk-in smells like a forest. It is absolutely amazing. What What about just more basic mushrooms that people buy with button mushrooms? Buttons, or yeah, with buttons. The biggest thing is that the cap needs to be tight to the stem. So if you're seeing the gills. That mushroom has started to age. So if you flip that umbrella upside down, exactly, that the the little wings of the umbrella reach all the way to the post, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if those what I call our gills are exposed, um, and especially if they're really exposed on a button mushroom, you don't want to. You 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 want white, tight caps. That's what you want. Um, they're going to have some dirt on them. They're they grow in, in even though they're cultivated and farms, they grow in dirt and stuff. So with a farmed mushroom, let's say myatakis, some of these really beautiful sort of more delicate mushrooms, you want them to still be whole. Uh, you, you shouldn't be having to purchase broken pieces. They should still be attached at their stem um, as a, again, I'll use the word gross piece. Um, but really, mostly it's just, you know, they need to be firm. They need to smell good. They need to have no sign of mold, no sign of moisture. And um, then you're, you're doing well. You've purchased something that's in good condition. My complaint most often when people cook mushrooms is that they're just kind of soft and slimy. Yeah, and that's okay. And underseasoned all at once. Right, and that's that's the whole ball game. Is seasoning them again? I don't want a jellyfish from on the my, beginning. On my pasta. Right. Yeah. And you need to work wa- work the natural water content, which is a high water content out of the mushroom. Mushrooms are like sponges. So if you, let's say there is some dirt on your button mushrooms, you really want to wipe it off with a damp towel. You really, you know, if they're super dirty, well, you're going to be forced to put them in a sink, uh, hopefully a big sink with a lot of water and just, you know, drop them in there, move them around really fast and quickly remove them. I mean, I'm talking about seconds, you know, in less than a minute, you need to get them in, get them out, drain them really well. Get rid of some of the detritus. Yeah. And um, but if you can just wipe them off with a, either a damp towel or a dry towel, that is the best way to handle uh, removing dirt from a mushroom. But so then when you're once you're ready to cook them, let's say it's a button mushroom. OK, you need a stainless steel pan, uh, a saute pan, preferably a good size one. You don't want them on top of each other. A little bit on top of each other is OK. One layer is best. Um, and um uh, that might be going too far. You can have some on top of each other, but... Y- y- They'll lose y- enough water quickly enough that yeah, it'll work out. Yeah, but don't, like, mound up the pan or you're never going to cook them correctly. So um, a good stainless steel pan, I like to... Co- you can cook them in butter. You can cook them in corn oil or another type of oil that you like, canola oil. But I prefer to saute my mushrooms in butter. And um, just light salt. I don't even put pepper on them. And you just... It's a, it's a process. I mean, it takes you know, 
on high heat, starting on high heat, then working your way to probably medium heat as they actually begin to really lose their water content um, because you don't want them to burn, of course. Um, but it's it's kind of high to medium high heat, actually, I should say, the whole time. Um, and constantly moving the pan, constantly shaking them, um, and, then, and then they should begin to caramelize. That's what you want. You want that beginning stage of them to start to brown and caramelize. And you, you'll see it go from a pan that looks like you you know, suddenly that you feel like, oh, God, did somebody put water in this pan? Because that's how the water starts to come out to that evaporating to the butter starting to do its job. And it begins to caramelize. And seasoning them? From the beginning, salt. I mean, you can add anything else you want to. Sometimes I'll, I, I typically only add salt. You can certainly add pepper. And sometimes if I'm looking for it, depends, like if I'm serving it with rabbit, Oftentimes, I will drop a piece of fresh rosemary in the butter before I add the mushrooms to perfume that butter, and then I pull the rosemary out and saute them. Or sometimes I will add fresh thyme because thyme and mushrooms, almost every mushroom goes very well with fresh thyme, but don't put very much in there. I mean, literally just a couple of stems of thyme. And definitely, I mean, even a few even a few little pulled off leaves from the rosemary if you're doing a small amount. So my mushrooms mm-hmm. are going to go with grilled cheese. Oh, yum. Yeah, no joke. That sounds good. You caramelize those mushrooms Mm -hmm. and put them inside of of a grilled cheese. (laughs) If you don't cook the grilled cheese with butter, there's a certain touch required. Mm -hmm. My my three-year-old will reject a (laughs) below-average quality grilled cheese. That's awesome. (laughs) But What kind of cheese do you put in your grilled cheese? I know it's not probably always the same thing, but... She most often has requested the orange cheese, (laughs) which, which... Usually I find a cheddar that is orange, but it needs to be orange first. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) And then at times I have put other things with it, and she's like that. Feta, no. Oh, no, that's too strong. Uh, Mozzarella, yes. Oh, yeah. Provolone, yes. Oh, yeah, that's fun too. Manchego, Manchego best. Oh, fancy. Spanish, good Spanish cheese. Manchego, oh, for sure. She has good taste. Yeah, she does. That's one of my favorite cases. But my mushrooms don't go with a beautiful roasted chicken to make the meal. <laughs> or with that rabbit. <laughs> well, and we're, also with that chicken that you're, we were talking about sautéing, uh, those mushrooms would be lovely. And again, yeah, pretty simple. The morels especially. And with the difference in the two mushrooms, would the wine be different if we were using morels or button mushrooms? Or would you? Morels, something more intense. Uh, the first thing, I, it's funny, the first thing I think of is morels and cream, morels and cream sauce. Sure. That is often made for a roasted chicken dish where you just, you know, you, you, you carve the chicken, you lay the slices on the sauce with all the morels. With that, great big white wine is what you usually want. Uh, maybe we say something along those lines. All right, when we come back on Formula Wolf on food and wine, we'll be discussing a little more simple food, uh, one or two more recipes, and then we're going to get into... A violent chef's challenge. (laughs) All of that and more on Formula Wolf on Food and Wine on WIPR. Welcome back to Foreman Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. 
and we've been covering a lot of simple food mm-hmm. and our strong feelings about doing the basics well. And even tomatoes, don't put them in the refrigerator. I was going to say, so since you have to bring but, up those there, tomatoes There's no again, segment without... What do you like to do with tomatoes, Tony? What's an easy thing for people that want to cook to do with tomatoes? You can make life really uncomplicated. Okay. You can slice them when they're ripe. Ripe is not bruising, but not hard. Right. Slice them, lay them on a plate, <laughs> put salt on them, <laughs> not too much. Yes. And you want to get fancy... Put some really good olive oil on them. You're good. Okay. I mean, no joke. It, oh, for sure. They, they're, they're great they're all fantastic. on their own. All they need is good olive oil and salt and pepper. Yeah. There's, there's. You can. No, there's a lot of other things you can add to that. Chiffonade, basil. You can. There's all <laughs> kinds of stuff olives. you can do. Yeah. I make a saffron and lime vinaigrette for mine. Oh my gosh. I mean, I I, that's so much. My favorite thing that I think is simple is that salad that I make with the heirloom tomatoes and the. Uh, different kinds of watermelon and oh, yum. cucumber and feta cheese and a little shallot, you know. Of course. That's that's a little party right there. But So how about another simple recipe? I think we should probably talk about fish because that can also be daunting, I think. So, you know, I mean, the, the main thing with fish is, is it the type of fish that you want it cooked all the way through? Or is it, you know, say rockfish or grouper? Now, and when I say all the way through, I want it to be medium well. Truly, it's medium well. If you cook a piece of rockfish or grouper or snapper medium, it's it's a little weird. So either the, you need to eat it raw. The texture is a little wiggly in the yeah, center. Yeah, you yeah. either need to eat it raw, completely raw, or you want to cook it almost all the way through. Basically, you want it to just be moist. You want to get a good sear on it. Um, or if you're leaving the skin on, you want the skin to be nice and crispy. So what are, how does that happen? The way that happens is, a, is quite frankly, one of the least expensive pans you can buy and one that will last forever if you just simply take care of it. Don't let it rust and don't use it to uh, you know, fix your car um, is a steel pan, an all-steel black pan. And those things are the best thing to sear fish. Get it seriously hot. It's one solid piece of metal. So you don't have to worry about ruining the pan. Um, uh, uh, let's say some of the better lines of stainless steel pans have are sandwiched with other different types of metals. So the outside may be stainless steel. There may be a copper core lining. Uh, there may be aluminum in the inside. Well, actually, uh, almost always there's aluminum. Um, so there are different types of metals in, I'll just say a brand, all clad. Um, uh, so with a steel pan, with those pans, sorry, with, with say, a, a, a pan that has different types of metals, if you put that on direct heat with nothing in it, you will eventually ruin that pan. What will happen is it will expand. You'll get little bubbles on the surface, or the whole thing will just absolutely deteriorate. Yeah, black steel pans are not impressed. Yeah, n- black steel pans don't care. I mean, you can get them seriously hot. Now, you don't want it to burn the food, but you do want it to be quite hot. And then when the pan is hot, your fish is out at, at you know out of the refrigerator, Pat it just to make sure there isn't any moisture on it. Why not? Um, pat it pat with, a paper, it with a paper towel. Pa- or pat it with a paper towel. S- you can lightly season it. And then that hot pan, put your oil in, run it around in the pan so the whole bottom and a little bit of the sides of the pan is coated with oil, coated. You're not frying, you're sauteing. High heat, little fat is what saute means or to jump. And um, you go ahead and put it in skin side down. Now what you're going to need is a fish spatula or some sort of spatula is the best way to really get that skin crispy is to gently, you don't 
press on it hard, but you gently just hold the fish, uh, the skin side down in that fat onto the bottom of the pan so it stays flat and that all the skin becomes crispy in that oil. And if you see that that oil is... If you you don't press it, it will bow up. It will bow up. So again, I don't want you to just... I don't want you to annihilate the fish. I want you to be gentle with the fish, but just gently press it down enough so it stays flat. And then when that side is nicely seared and the skin is crispy or uh, let's say it's skinless, um, then you flip it over. And then you sear it on the other side, but you don't sear it as hard because I assume you're going to go into, let's say, a 375. You could even go into a 400-degree oven and finish it in the oven. If it's a nice, big, thick piece of fish, you're going to finish it in the oven. And, you know, maybe that's three minutes. Maybe it's five minutes. It just depends on how big the fish is. Um, But you do want it to be moist, and you want it to be in a moist environment when it goes in, meaning that – I don't know if moist is the right word – I want to make sure that you have enough oil on that piece of fish that it doesn't dry out in the oven because of that either. All right. So fish seared. Are you ready now for, I described it as a violent chef's challenge. Oh. (laughs) It doesn't mean we're going to be swinging knives at one another. Mm. Though, yeah, according to Luke's face, he's tempted to watch that. So would you like to go first? No, you are. Here you go. Oh. So all the product that I gave you is local, meaning that, you know, you should be able to find it now, so that's a good sh- thing for you to work with. So, okay. And also, just because, obviously, things like lemon and, and limes aren't grown locally, you know, you have a pantry, and you have basic things that you would need in your refrigerator, um, butter or well, olive oil or salt and pepper and all those do, things. Do I have some things in the spice cabinet or Old Bay yeah, or something Yeah, you like have that? whatever you want. It, basically, s- seasoning, basic pantry items. Because you gave me a bushel of crabs. I that's did. That's a lot of crabs to cook. I did. It's exciting. I don't know I if I have I want to see what you do pot. with crabs. You steam them, and you well, put I'm you steam them with spices. You steam them in beer, <laughs> and you put them on the darn table, and you eat them. Okay, sounds good. Next question: uh, Green onions, eggplant, zucchini, tomato, corn, a bunch of herbs, basil, parsley, chives, thyme. I mean, the zucchini. I want to make carpaccio with the zucchini. Do I have a, Do I have a lemon somewhere? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's just lemon, extra olive oil. Very thin zucchini and uh, fresh basil. That's easy. The corn, I want to, I started doing this where I kind of, on a low grill, grill the, shuck the corn and then grill the pieces. Okay. Until they begin to, you can smell them caramelizing a little bit. You get a tiny bit of char on them and then take that off the husk. Uh, Use the green onion for the onion product that you need and uh, nectarines. And the tomato, and make it, let's make a salad with those guys, and a little bit of the fresh chive should be nice, and the parsley. That's easy. What else do I have to fool with? Eggplants. Eggplant. Nah, let's roast the eggplant. Let's roast the eggplant and make some, some eggplant caviar. That's easy to, uh, you know. So you roast the eggplant, half down, uh, garlic underneath it, salt it well. It needs it. It's got a lot of water. Uh, let it roast until it essentially collapses. Let it cool like that. And that, that's a good word. When it collapses, that's when it's done. Yeah. Yeah. And then you turn it over and you dig out the seeds, essentially. That's why they call it caviar because it has all these little pearls of eggplant. Um, that goes into a bowl. And, yes, you use mayonnaise hmm. to uh, to finish it. I mean, you can make a vinaigrette. You can make aioli. But, I mean, you want to be quick about it. Mayonnaise, if you had garlic, you'd use garlic. The chives would probably sub in pretty well. And um, a little extra virgin lemon. Chili if you want it that way, but 
I don't have it on my list. And then uh, you serve that warm, and that's just a fun, easy. Mm -hmm. Or if you have bread, grilled bread with uh, eggplant caviar is pretty darn good. (laughs) And I think that's everything. Now I'm going to have to go make the corn and nectarine and tomato salad. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, okay. Okay. Very good. All right. That was quick. Well, it's a quick list. Yes. I gave you... A not quick list? A violent list. Condition. You have 30 minutes? Yes, you have oh, 30 yeah, baby. minutes. I like that kind of condition. Yeah. I'm up to the task. Oh, you gave me don't cheddar ever, cheese. Don't ever give me that condition. <laughs> yeah. Cheddar cheese, green olives, dried pasta, cherry tomatoes, sweet red peppers. Dried strozzapretti. There we go. Um, sweet red peppers, jalapeno pepper, ground pork, Berkshire. Ooh, yum. Chicken, breast on the bone, lemons, nectarines, parmigiano, Herbs, dairy, extra olive oil, your... Your garden. Your kitchen garden. garden. Okay. Okay. My kitchen garden. Okay. They get here in 30 minutes. They're hungry. Easy. Um, Chicken breast on the bone is definitely going with those nectarines and some herbs. So uh, we already talked about how to do chicken breast. I'm not going to go through it. So I'm just going to sear it, saute it, roast it, finish it in the oven, and right at the end... Um, so it's seasoned with salt and pepper. Um, I will put some butter in the pan near the end, and then I will slice the nectarines and lay them in the pan right at the end, maybe the like the last literally two minutes of the cooking so that some of the juices mix with all the juices from the chicken and also, oh, my gosh, those nectarines are going to be so Skin good. on the nectarines? Yeah, I would do the skin on in, in the pan. And um, with herbs, I would put just a little bit of lemon verbena in there if I had it, which I do in my garden. And um, just let it lay in the pan for a second to perfume that butter and then pull it right back out and throw it away. Um, I'd also deglaze the pan with a little bit of that lemon juice. And just for fun, since you gave me Parmigiano, um, I might put just a tiny bit on top of that chicken. Um, That's a little strange with the nectarines, but I think it actually would be very good. So the chicken on the bone or or lay it out and slice it? No, I would take it off the bone and slice it. And then also with the jalapeno peppers, I think just a little bit of, um, I make an oil with jalapeno, so we just uh, put corn oil on the stove cut the um, stem end off the jalapeno, but leave all the seeds in, cut it in half. Obviously, you wash it first. goes into the oil, and the moment you see the lines start to come into the oil where it's just before it's going to start to simmer, turn the pan off, let the jalapeno sit in there for about, you know, two or three or four minutes, puree it really fast in the um, blender. And I think that around the outside of the plate also with that chicken and the nectarines would be really, really good. I'm going to remove that Reggiano. You've got about 15 minutes left. I'm I'm taking the cheese off of there. Okay, so the pasta, cherry tomatoes with the pasta. I'll grill uh, the bell, the red peppers, excuse me, sweet red peppers. uh, After I grill them with oil and a little bit of salt and pepper, pull some of the skin off and just um, dice it into a small dice. I could julienne it. No, I'll julienne it. I'll julienne the cherry tomatoes too. And um, I'm going to reserve a tiny bit of the jalapeno for that as well, just to give it some spice. Julian, the cherry tomatoes? Yes. You're a crazy person. I am. Uh, okay, then I'll just quarter them. It's easier for people. So I'll just quarter the cherry tomatoes. And um, I'm going to uh, brown some of the pork off in the pan and add that. Just toss everything together with the pasta. And um, I don't know what I'm doing with the cherry, cheddar cheese and the green olives. Uh, we'll eat the cheddar cheese while we're cooking, and the green Those olives. Those would be good ingredients for a, yeah, for a grilled cheese. Green olives we'll eat as well as antipasta. I used everything. Just eat them while you're drinking wine while you That's are it. cooking. 30 minutes, easy. Yeah, that makes sense. You're always speedy. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's all we have time for on Former Wolf on Food and Wine. 
If you want to listen to this program or any others, uh, please go to the WYPR website, wypr.org, and look for the Foreman Wolf page. If you want to send us an email, please send it to foremanwolf at wypr.org. If you want to follow Chef Cindy Wolf on social media. On Instagram as Chef Wolf and on Twitter as Chef Cindy Wolf. Um, my Instagram is the real Tony Foreman. Thanks so much for listening. And happy Sunday. Happy Sunday.